Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you are with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. And Jim... We've had lots of negative things to say about Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer over the past couple of years now, but especially her draconian handling of the pandemic, even roping off different aisles in different stores. You couldn't get paint for some reason. She wouldn't let you have your lawn guy come over, even if you didn't interact with your lawn guy there for a while. So people were pulling their hair out, but for the most part, her approval ratings remained right around 60%, but that is changing. And as we head into a 2022 re-election campaign for Whitmer, things are getting a little bit interesting. The uh, Detroit News, out with a poll from the Detroit Regional Chamber, shows that Whitmer's approval rating is now down to 50%. 44% said they disapproved. Back in February, it was a 58 to 38% spread. So from 20 points down to six. Moreover, John Gizzi over at Newsmax pointing out a new competitive edge research poll showing that among likely voters statewide, the governor's actually behind former Detroit police chief and leading Republican candidate James Craig by 45 to 38 percent. Now, I don't know anything about that outfit that's doing the polling, but clearly something is changing in Michigan. Uh, The Detroit News talks about how Whitmer twice got caught in Gavin Newsom type situations, getting a big group together for dinner. Uh, flying to Florida to visit family when she was telling other people not to do that. So it's perhaps finally catching up with her. And with a figure who's likely to get more support than the typical Republican in the Detroit area, maybe you got a chance. Yeah. And I think, you know, you look at the early outlines of the 2022 midterm environment. Uh, You know, usually the president's party suffers a bit. Your grassroots of the president's party start to get a little lackadaisical. The opposition grassroots get kind of fired up. Um, we shouldn't really be shocked by this. And Gretchen Whitmer's kind of been this lightning rod for criticism for a good portion of the pandemic. She did not necessarily um, you know, see enormous suffering in her approval rating during the pandemic, much to the frustration of uh, Republicans in the state. But that poll that we mentioned was, so it was actually conducted in late May. I'd love to see a more recent poll by another outfit just to see if this competitive edge research poll you know, is, is seeing what it wants to see. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, there, there's a lot of people who have written kind of the obituaries of the Michigan Republican Party, came close in, in the Senate race in 2018, came close in the Senate race in 2020, uh, a narrow defeat for President Trump in 2020, but not, you know, look, not within the realm of, of, you know, Arizona or Georgia or something like that. But, you know, nonetheless, this is a state where Republicans have a shot if they've got a wind at their back. And the question is whether they're going to have one. Um, I think it's safe to say that Whitmer will have a lot of support from the National Party. They see her as a star, all that kind of stuff. But when you see this you know, significant a drop, and remember, this is as of late May, I wonder if there's a phenomenon at work where Michiganders were giving her the benefit of the doubt during the pandemic because they just didn't know how bad it was. And also remember, you know, Michigan, late in this, you know, late in winter, early in spring, Michigan was getting hammered when the rest of the country seemed like it was seeing an improvement in, in its numbers. So um you do kind of wonder if uh, as the pandemic gets more and more in the rearview mirror, 
Michiganders convinced themselves, hey, wait, we didn't really need to do that. And what was all that, you know, banning the purchase of seeds and all that kind of stuff. And her husband trying to get the the boat out of the dock beforehand and mentioning his name and things like that. All of a sudden, all these little mini scandals and problems start to accumulate. And she may see herself in a tougher spot for re-election than we expect. So we don't want to oversell this, but it does look like it's going to be, you know, a, if nothing else, a reasonably competitive gubernatorial race. And if there's a little bit of the wind at the Republicans' back, maybe Gretchen Whitmer will indeed be a one-term governor of Michigan. Jim, I just spent several days in Michigan. That's where I went on my vacation. And I don't think there are many other states in the country. There could be another. Uh, If there is, I don't know. Where you see so many bumper stickers, a few yard signs, maybe even a billboard or two that simply say, my governor is an idiot. Um, (laughs) And that is definitely... Really? Not here in Virginia? Because, you know, like... (laughs) New Yorkers, I'm, I'm Californians, I'm sure. Like, like, you know, I just realized, Greg, why are we not merchandising this? Because you can sell this in every state in the union, and chances are you do pretty well. But I think sales will be particularly strong in a state like Michigan. I think plenty of other people have governors who are idiots. It's just a question of whether they've actually bothered to market it into bumper stickers, yard signs, and uh, billboards. But uh, they are pretty prevalent in in Michigan, although I was not in the Detroit area. So uh, the key is uh, what uh, a lot of folks there think of her because that's where most statewide races in Michigan are generally decided. Uh, the GOP bench in Michigan is not the strongest in the world. But I think uh, Craig is a candidate, like we said before, who can uh, – cut through some of Whitmer's advantage in the uh, in the Detroit metro area. So uh, good for good for those numbers. Let's hope they keep trending in the same direction. But uh, while you're waiting to find out whether Gretchen Whitmer or any of these other terrible governors are going to get another four years, don't lose sleep over it. Now you need to get the best night's sleep possible. And my pillow, of course, is the right source for that. But they're more than just fantastic pillows. Now my pillow is giving the same attention they've given their pillows to the Giza Dream Sheets. Their current offer is that for a limited time, you can get two sets of Giza Dream Sheets for one low price plus free shipping. Imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you will ever own, guaranteed. They're made from the world's best cotton, which is grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. Its long staple cotton makes it ultra soft and breathable. These sheets are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They are machine washable, and they have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. I love the Giza Dream Sheets. Uh, We've had the chance to test them out. Uh, And as soon as it's time for them to go in the wash, uh, we try to get them back on the bed as soon as possible because uh, they're just that comfortable. Really good uh, with the pillowcases, the sheets. uh, The cotton really does make a big difference. Uh, Can't recommend them highly enough. So visit MyPillow.com. Use the promo code Martini at checkout or call 800-874-0104 for two sets of Giza Dream Sheets for one low price plus free shipping. Again, that's two sets of Giza Dream Sheets. For one low price plus free shipping with promo code Martini at MyPillow.com or when you call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com or call 800-874-0104. All right, Jim, our last two martinis will deal with President Joe Biden. This uh, first story doesn't actually mention him, but I think the fact that he's not mentioned is certainly significant. Uh, This is from Reuters. Uh, Dated yesterday, Britain, France, and Germany said Tuesday they had, quote, grave concern about Iran's decision to give notice it would take concrete steps to produce uranium metal enriched up to 20% purity for reactor fuel. 
quote, Iran has no credible civilian need for uranium metal R&D and production, which are a key step in the development of a nuclear weapon, the three countries said in a joint statement issued by Britain's foreign ministry. Quote, we strongly urge Iran to halt all activities in violation of the JCPOA without delay and to return to the negotiations in Vienna with a view to bringing them to a swift conclusion. Of course, Jim, the reason Biden's not mentioned in there is because the U.S. is not part of the statement. He, of course, has to pretend that the JCPOA was the smashing success. And the only reason Iran might be going rogue now is, of course, because the Trump administration scuttled uh, the deal. And uh, But the fact is, this has always been Iran's uh, ambition. In fact, I'm kind of surprised they weren't actually doing this clandestinely long before this, and maybe they were. But as you also point out today, the Biden administration and the Wall Street Journal has the story. Biden is trying to revamp the way the U.S. uses punitive sanctions, quote, aiming to stem sweeping pressure campaigns, avoid collateral economic damage and act jointly with allies rather than unilaterally. And that includes the planned easing of economy wide sanctions against Iran. Jim, some people, no matter how many chances you give them, just don't get it. Yeah, and just, you know, for perspective of how bad the situation in Iran has to be, how bad is it when the Europeans are the ones saying, hey, wait, this is really bad. Right. (laughs) Traditionally, we're the ones who are more upset about the Iranian nuclear program, the progress they're making towards a nuclear bomb. And the Europeans are the ones who are saying, no, 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 this is fine. We can trade with them. No, no, we don't need any additional sanctions. It is all ideal. You know, that's my very bad French accent there. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so these two steps together are kind of unusual, particularly coming with this report from the Wall Street Journal that uh, the Biden administration is really sounds very seriously looking at, you know, some pretty sweeping repeal of sanctions on Iran. The whole theme of today's uh, morning jolt is about Democratic officeholders slamming into the what I call the Overton window. Glenn Beck used to be very big on this term. It it sounds fancy, but really all it means or, or maybe some really complicated HGTV term. Uh, but in fact, the Overton window is just the range of ideas that are considered sensible, normal, within the range of discussion um, of the normal body politic at any given time, and which ideas are considered out of bounds and crazy and extreme and not some, not anything anybody would want to do. And the notion that you know the, each side is always trying to push the Overton window in their direction. Well, you know, the Biden administration really thought that it was going to step back into office. And it basically would almost as happened as the last four years of Trump being president hadn't happened. And oh, Trump canceled the Iran deal. That's fine. We're going to restore it. We're going to set it right back up. Hey, Iran, let's get let, let's set up where we were. And surprise, surprise, Iran doesn't want to go back to that. Now, the irony is that you know, a lot of us on the right looked at the Iran deal as way too generous to Iran. But Iran has come to the conclusion, and said, you know what? This is actually you know, why, why should we agree to that? Um, we're going to develop, continue to develop our nuclear weapons, and, and we have no interest in this. They've recognized, or at least I think they're taking the gamble, that Biden is going to keep making bigger and bigger concessions just in an effort to get them back to the, the negotiating table. Um, and that appears to be, at least based on this Wall Street Journal report, what the direction the Biden administration is going in. Um, the Biden and his team just seem absolutely convinced that the very best thing they can do in terms of Middle East policy is to get back to the negotiating table with Iran, work out some sort of deal, accept by uh, the, the promises, accept an inspections regime that a lot of us look at and say, nah, this is not really going to uh, ensure that they're not doing any secret research or developing bombs in their underground bunkers and things like that. Um, and kind of, you know, if not completely cast aside the Abraham Accords, to ignore the opportunity set up by the fact that a whole bunch of Arab states and a whole and Israel 
both look at Iran and suddenly have a mutual interest in making sure Iran does not become the regional power. Um, so we'll see how things shake out, but it is not a particularly good sign. And the fact that, the, as you said, Biden's name isn't mentioned in this discussion, that the Europeans are warning about Iran, seems like a really big indicator that uh, this is a administration that's still running late 2016 software in a mid-2021 world. <laughs> well, I remember, of course, uh, when the Obama administration came in, Ahmadinejad was still uh, the you know the Ayatollah's uh, hand-picked leader there in Iran, and he was so off the charts, you really couldn't uh, make a plausible case for negotiating with him. So then the supposed moderate Rouhani comes in, and then they put together the JCPOA, which uh, lasted for weeks and maybe even months of negotiations, but I'm pretty sure it all consisted of John Kerry going, Oh, okay, we can do that. Um, and, uh, and now we've got this guy who's a former executioner already under sanctions uh, coming in as the next hand-picked leader of the Ayatollah. So, uh, Jim, I don't think that Iran is trying to put up the moderate face right now, but I, I think the Biden administration is still planning to just do the thank you, may I have another uh, routine here, and uh, just grovel and, and get any deal they can. Over time, Greg, I, I start to wonder if the secret to succeeding in, in politics or policy, and I recognize the two worlds, are like a Venn diagram that doesn't overlap that much and seem to be slowly pulling apart further over time. But the idea is to create a situation in which no matter what happens, the proper solution is your preferred uh, approach from the first place. If, you know, if the, the Biden administration has decided we need to reach out further Take it easier on them. Lower, the, you know, rescind the sanctions and just, you know, greater diplomatic outreach. So, if Iran does nice things, see, it means we should be doing greater diplomatic outreach. If Iran does bad things, if they elect a maniac hardliner, if their rhetoric gets worse and worse, well, that just means we need greater diplomatic outreach. It's kind of like a flowchart that always ends up in the exact same place. We need to reach out to them more, be nicer to them, and rescind more sanctions. Again, they never learn. All right, let's talk about uh, something you can learn, though, and that is how to save a ton of money on your car insurance and your homeowner's insurance. And there are hundreds of companies out there claiming to compare auto and home insurance rates and do it all in one place, but there's only one who actually does it. So get your better insurance with Gabby, and I know you can do it because I've done it. Gabby is the one true comparison platform with the fast, verifiable quotes, not ballpark guesses. You use your current policy to find a better policy, comparing your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers. And we're talking about companies like Progressive and Nationwide and Travelers, and it's all in one place. Use your current insurance information to get started. It's free, and they only show you policies that are the same or better than your current coverage. And many of them are likely to be at a lower price. Gabby customers save $961 per year on average and they will never sell your information, so you'll never have to deal with annoying spam or robocalls. And like I said, I've had the chance to go through this process. You just go to their site, you answer the very easy questions, you link to your current insurance policy, and then Gabby shows you what you would pay with other insurers for the exact same coverage. And so it could not be easier. People are saving hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Chad just talked about it last week. We ultimately decided to stick with our insurance, uh, even though there were some lower rates out there. But uh, it's definitely an option that I encourage you to pursue. You can save a lot of money and still get the excellent coverage that you need. So put your policy to the test. Get a better insurance with Gabby. It's totally free to check, and there's no obligation. Go to Gabby.com slash martini. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash martini. Gabby.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's go to our crazy martini now. And the Biden administration 
uh, fell short of its uh, 70% of uh, eligible recipients getting vaccinated by the 4th of July. A lot of states got there, but uh, not the nation as a whole. Uh, So now the Biden administration is deciding that it needs more personal outreach to the people who have decided or just put off getting the vaccine, uh, not just necessarily decided not to get it. And so uh, yesterday at the White House, Press Secretary Jen Psaki explaining what one of the key uh, strategies is from this administration. The president will outline five areas his team is focused on to get more Americans vaccinated. One, uh, targeted community-by-community door-to-door outreach to get remaining Americans vaccinated by ensuring they have the information they need on how both safe and accessible the vaccine is. So, Jim, I'm not sure what this is supposed to accomplish. I assume people are either procrastinating or just have decided that they're not going to get the vaccine. So I'm not sure what the door-to-door effort is going to accomplish. It might spark a few political debates on the doorstep. But uh, beyond that, as well-intentioned as it might be, it just kind of comes across as nagging. Yeah. And look, I, I don't I don't want to say this is, you know, a disastrous summer for the Biden administration, but it, it is, you can do have a sense that the momentum has slowed, the infrastructure talks have uh, it. And they really thought they were going to have uh, a, a real great celebratory talking point for 4th of July. We hit our milestone. They're not that far behind it, but they, I think, you know, they've reached the, the challenging situation of all the low hanging fruit has been picked. Uh, it's expected sometime in September, or October, Pfizer is going to submit the emergency use authorization for their vaccine for kids who are between kindergarten and 11 years old. Um, that will add another group of people who can get uh, vaccinated, should take the FDA about another month or so. Um, so towards the end of the year, you'll get another group of people who can get vaccinated. But then, you know, each time you make more people eligible, your percentage of people who are eligible to get vaccinated, who are vaccinated, gets a little bit bigger, too. And I, I don't I, I, if I thought this was going to work, I'd be a bigger uh, cheerleader for it. You know, are some people going to when somebody knocks at their door and, and say, you know, hey, would you like a vaccine? Yeah, maybe some people will go for it. I, I just I don't see that making a, a you know significant difference. Um Great irony is we had a nice little surge in the last couple of days, at least the first week of July. Uh, a lot of it was, you know, we were back above mil- a million uh, shots per day. That was down to like, I think, 600,000 yesterday. But all in all, like, you know, what, what sounded like what was getting people motivated was talk of the Delta variant and things like that. And the talk that we were starting to see a slight uptick in cases, particularly amongst groups of people who are vaccinated. And all of the studies indicating that the people who are vaccinated are not making up the people getting sick. They're not making up the people getting hospitalized. And they're not making up the people who are dying from the virus. Um, but I got to say, I think the remaining people are people who just don't, who either you know, resolutely don't want it. They don't trust the vaccine. Uh, they may be anti-vaxxers in general, or they just generally are just not people who have kind of tuned out of society. I have a very tough time believing these people haven't heard of the virus, of the vaccine. Uh, they're available to just about every drugstore, pharmacy, CVS, Walgreens, um, just about every doctor, uh, doctor's office has it. They're making a big push to give it to pediatricians. You know, I don't think it's lack of opportunity to get the vaccine that's holding out these people. I mean, these are people who are, um, they're, they're, you know, to, to similar, they're not joiners, right? They're, they're not likely to get involved in something. And it's not like they haven't, it's like we haven't heard much about COVID-19 over the last 18 months or so. So it's going to be tough. And I just don't know if a, the equivalent of a door-to-door salesman, I mean, you know, when, when the, what was like, when the front door, as opposed to the back door, because in most homes, lots of homes, people, everybody uses the back door. Greg, when the front door, you hear a knock or your doorbell rings at home, what is your first thought? 
Uh, hopefully they'll think I'm not home unless I'm expecting someone. Right? Like, you're, you're both people who prefer, oh, but, you know, maybe you check your little ring doorbell gadget or something like that. But your usual thought is, oh, okay, it's either Jehovah's Witness or a kid selling something. And I already have way too many Girl Scout cookies and uh, all kinds of stuff. Ah, uh, no, I'm not interested. Or the guy who says, oh, we're doing roofing in your neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you. No, you know, <laughs> um, I try to be polite to people who come to the door. But obviously, you know, good, good things do not knock on your door. <laughs> Say nothing of all the people like, oh, God, it could be the cops. You know, um, the people who are not vaccinated are I, the idea that, well, we've showed up at your door. Here's the needle. You're ready. You're ready to go. I, I, you know, maybe that's the kind of convenience it's going to take. But I really have a hard time seeing this being a significant factor in the numbers. And it gives you the feeling that they're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel for ideas to get these folks uh, vaccinated. I, I think, you know, it's July 7th. They started this in mid-December. If you haven't gotten vaccinated in the past seven or eight months, it, you're, you're really not that interested. And I don't know if you, the lotteries didn't do it. The free pizza didn't do it. The free beer didn't do it. Nothing gets it. These people are just not interested. And it's going to be really, really tough to get them to say, OK, stick me with the jab. And I promise to come back in three, three weeks or four weeks. Don't you have to hire a lot of people to do that? I mean, they usually have a pretty big ramp up to do the census. And that's once a decade. I'm not sure how this is actually going to be handled logistically, but I guess that's not really our problem. Well, and the other thing is that they go door to door and interact with people who aren't vaccinated. <laughs> and, you know, they probably talk to them face to face. They These people probably aren't wearing masks. If they were, they probably would have gotten vaccinated by now. They, they may cough into their hand, give them a handshake, and then send them on to the next door. What's the worst that could happen, Greg? <laughs> well, we'll see if it actually happens. It's, uh, it's at least uh, likely to happen on paper at this point. Jim, always good to be with you. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already, and we'd love it if you told your friends about us as well. We're grateful for your five-star ratings and your very kind reviews. Also, remember, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us on Thursday for the next three martini lunch. There's never a shortage of craziness going on in the news, and we are here to talk about it all. Heat waves sweep the western U.S., reaching record-breaking numbers. The government has made statements about the possibility of UFOs being real, and now there could be a new COVID variant in the U.K.? Hey, it's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.